It's the Book and Film Globe Week in Review podcast with me, Neil Pollock, the greatest living American writer and the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the worlds of books and film and streaming TV and much, much more. This week, we're going to talk about Morbius, a new Marvel anti-hero vampire movie that's getting all kinds of bad reviews. Our critic, Stephen Garrett, will be here to talk to us about that. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about our favorite vampire movies, just to fill some time and to keep you amused. But first, we're going to talk to our contributor, Rachel Llewellyn, about the proliferation of female scammer TV shows, a lot of which are derived from podcasts, and those are filling up your streaming services right now. There's a lot of terrific ones out there, and Rachel has seen them all. I've even seen a few, and we'll talk about it right after this inspiring musical interlude. You can call them girl bosses, you can call them lady scammers, you can call them whatever you want, really, but there's no denying that uh, female-led companies and scams involving rich women have become a real trend in the entertainment world in terms of shows uh, about them. And Rachel Llewellyn wrote a great piece this week in Book and Film Globe about that. Rachel's here to talk to me about it. Hello. Hi, Neil. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, yeah, this is a terrific piece, and you, you covered a lot of ground. There's a bunch of shows. You know, there's The Dropout, and then you have We Crashed, and you have Inventing Anna on Netflix, and on and on. And, you know, you, you were going to publish this thing for me a couple of weeks ago, but, like, more content just kept appearing. So we just kept having to pile on. So why do you think all this stuff is coming out now? Is it, is it just coincidence that this is now a genre? I'm not really 100% sure. I I definitely, well, first of all, I apologize for breaking several deadlines on this. This, I definitely fell down the rabbit hole just researching this. It sort of spun out into something bigger, but I think that's part of the appeal of of this genre. And I do think that there are some, you know, temporal factors here that are kind of dictating public interest in this genre. You know, as I mentioned in my article, I think we're in a time where there's a lot more, uh, monitoring accountability and people really like sort of seeing come up in stories, redemption stories. And, you know, previously it's interesting because these scammer stories first busted out like seven years ago. So they've kind of been on streaming for a minute. Um, Dirty John. And I think, Oh, I think it was making a murderer, but they came out in 2015 and those were magnetizing people just watched them over and over. So we've sort of been fascinated with this for several years, but part of it too is production companies are sort of realizing that it's a lot cheaper to analyze audible traffic than build a pilot. You know, they're able to keep churning out profitable, watchable dramas by turning to podcasts for free audience testing and free story sourcing. They can sort of watch the popularity of these podcasts develop and already kind of have their test audience done. So it's a convenient way to, again, keep chunking content out there on streaming platforms. But, you know, some of the more high profile shows in this genre, um, you know, uh, the Elizabeth Holmes, uh, the dropout on Hulu and the We Crashed on Apple TV Plus, you know, these are based on like 
big time. And Inventing Anna too was a big time news story back in the day. But these are, you know, these are stories that have various degrees of wide scale public interest. I mean, the Elizabeth Holmes Theranos scandal is one of the biggest corporate scandals in American history. And 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 we you know the WeWork valuation was also quite quite a big scam. And so let's talk about these shows. I haven't seen them all, but I have been watching The Dropout, and man, that's a terrific – it's just a terrific show. It's so good. Amanda Seyfried is so great as Elizabeth Holmes, and the writing is really sharp and funny. Absolutely. I agree. How how far into it are you? How many episodes did you and your wife get? I've, I've watched five episodes. I, I can only get my wife to like digest so much of the time, but there have only been six, and there's a seventh coming up, so we're not too far behind <laughs> – you know, I, and it, they're really like, you know, they, they really take their time to tell the story. And, you know, it, it's um, developed by Liz Merriweather, who did New Girl, of all things. And I, just, I don't know. I just think this is a terrific show. It's got a good sense of humor. And the acting is spectacular across the board. A great cast. In addition to Amanda Seyfried, there's you know, Stephen Fry and Kurtwood Smith and Sam Waterston. And that's just the t- – Alan Ruck. I mean, they, they it goes on and on, and they, and uh, Dylan Minnette from Thirteen Reasons Why has just made his 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 appearance. So you know you're you're looking at it's a really good cast. It's like an epic miniseries in some ways. I agree, and that just the story is so compelling. I think that a lot of these you know very well healed actors are drawn to these stories because truth really is sometimes more spectacular than fiction, and. I think, you know, again, these stories sort of come prepackaged in their own drama. I mean, there's very little tailoring. I mean, you know, again, let's remember these stories are fictionalized. They're editorialized. There's liberties taken. So this is in no way, you know, the whole story. But it's just fascinating to see these personalities like navigate these sprawling social structures, big banking, corporate America. Like you said, these are not these are not bouncing checks. These are large scale scams. So it's like, it speaks to me. It's really kind of a spectacular comment, less about the talent and skill of these people who are infiltrating these systems, but how vulnerable these systems are to being mimicked and infiltrated and scammed. That's, I think that's a fascinating concept for people. It's a great, uh, the dropout is great because Elizabeth Holmes is such a narcissist, but she also is someone who genuinely um, wants to do good, at least at the beginning. But she also, I think, really what, it's, it's, a, it's a show about how um, we're fed these ideas of success and wealth, but that we don't really get a sense of what it actually takes to achieve that. Like, she wants to be Steve Jobs, but she doesn't have anything but a failed blood testing device, and yet manages, in part because she is an attractive woman, to sort of manipulate, everyone wants to believe. They want to believe in her. And, and then, then the people who don't often end up in really bad situations. You know, the William H. Macy character, the Stephen Fry character. It's just a, fa- it's a fascinating story. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, so We Crashed, which is, which is I think, being seen by fewer people than that because it's on Apple TV+, Plus, which has a limited audience. I mean, I've, I started watching that as well. And that's also really good. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know, Jared Leto, um, you know, fresh off of the one of the worst performances in cinematic history in House of Gucci, uh, plays Adam Newman, the founder of WeWork. And he he is he's great. And it. it's like a signature role for him. And Anne Hathaway plays his very sleazy Gwyneth Paltrow goop style wife, Rebecca, uh, is sort of this new age uh, guru type. And she's also, I think, 
really good. What they're both like these are like professional Oscar winning actors who are doing this. Yes, I'm very impressed. I, I smell awards down the road for Anne Hathaway on this. And I feel like the character of Adam Newman, I'm like, man, that's got to be as close to Jared Leto's real personality as you can get. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, think but with an Israeli accent. Yes, exactly. With the accent added. I think it's pretty, pretty close to his personality. So I don't know if he really did a whole lot of acting in that role. But no, it was it's pretty. Again, the production value on that is impressive. I think that the acting across the board was really well done. They've got, you know, the moments of drama with like really being self-aware of how ludicrous the scale of these scams were and how, you know, these just breathtakingly inflated egos. And the like, like you said, you're talking about there not being a whole lot of substance behind the facade here. We're talking it's about like shared office space. We work with just like basically like shared office. Space. <laughs> what is the idea of we work? Exactly. It's real estate. It's real estate is what it is. And what they spun it into is, is so much more. It's like uh, they did an interview with Amanda Seyfried about her makeup and how, you know, chunked on it was. And she just liked the idea of having makeup on is, was her comment about Elizabeth Holmes. The, the idea of makeup, the idea of a company the idea of a blood test. All you have to do is sell the idea and the content will follow. And that sort of anti-logic is really compelling, in, especially in We Crashed. It's, it's the opposite of Book and Film Globe where we sell the content and then the ideas are going to follow. <laughs> content is king in our little corner of, of the internet. So, and then I haven't seen the other shows, honestly, the ones you talk about. Bad, I haven't watched Bad Vegan yet, although I did watch The Tinder Swindler, which I think is a very similar type of movie. Um, and then uh, Inventing Anna, uh, which is sort of about a, like a hipster socialite in, in New York City, who, who, and, and, and that's sort of, sort of signature Julia Garner performance. And, and The Girl from Plainville, which is an Elle Fanning thing. I haven't, I haven't watched any of that, but again, these have sort of some thematically similar elements. Yes, the rise, the fall, that narrative arc. But I really think that with true crime genres sort of pivoting and being willing to show these straight-laced, privileged people getting into trouble, I think that they have a good opportunity to deepen and widen their demographic beyond their 73% female viewership that they currently have. You know, I think part of the charm of watching movies like this and shows, documentaries and series is that we all kind of want to believe that we're we're too smart to be taken. We're too smart to ever be hoodwinked by anyone with bad motives. But I think part of the being an armchair detective is sort of trying to get into the headspace of, of both parties to sort of understand that dynamic. And it's interesting to see how well it's being rendered on film. I think so many of these series are going to be watchable just over and over. Yeah, it, it's like a, it's a genre explosion. Um, and, and again, like there, there hasn't been a, a bad one yet. And but the thing you, you point out, the irony of all of this is that you know, these people are run the scale from being deluded and, and narcissistic to being like legitimately evil. And yet there a lot of them kind of get away with it. Like, as you point out, Elizabeth Holmes isn't in jail. She lives in a mansion awaiting sentencing. You know, I, I'm, I'm guessing Adam Newman isn't like exactly like a wash in poverty. The Tinder swindler is still swindling on, tin, on, on Tinder and on Instagram and still like saying, you know, the, the movie made him a star. It's like these people can't be brought down. Right. And it's an interesting give and take as we get that endorphin hitch feeling outraged about unfairness, which is a very deep running, almost evolutionary concept. 
we get this endorphin hit being outraged about it. But at the same time, the way these stories are fictionalized and fed back to us really benefits the people who perpetrated the scams in the first place. So it's a, a deep running irony there. Yeah. I mean, the one again, the one I'm watching most closely, the dropout. I mean, you see that there are potential victims uh, for Elizabeth Holmes's uh, shenanigans. I mean, you see her visiting in cancer patients and, you know, talking about how these there are, you know, there are people who are hoping that this works. And, but because the machines never really made it to market, the only real victims is like Walgreens. (laughs) Anyone who spent any time in Walgreens has a hard time feeling sorry for that company. Exactly. And Anna Delvey too, you know, oh, you know, the whole Robin Hood thing about her stealing from big banks and, you know, wealthy people and the way it's being portrayed is, isn't exactly sort of, hey, learn from this experience. This is bad. I did feel kind of sorry for the victims of like the Tinder swindler, but at least they got to be in a movie. (laughs) (laughs) And isn't that what's really important at the end of the day? (laughs) Maybe. I didn't watch that one. I, I did miss that one, unfortunately. I found it pretty entertaining. I, I gotta I gotta tune into Bad Vegan too, which seems like a very similar story. So I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm lapping this up. I'm enjoying the genre. It's it's very popcorny. Yeah. And it's very appealing, and it attracts good talent. So uh, it's a trend, and we're on top of it at Book and Film Globe. Rachel, thank you so much for your piece, and thanks for talking to me. Oh, my pleasure. Oh, devil woman, devil woman. Devil woman, leave me alone, I wanna go home. Devil woman, you're evil, like the dark coral reef, like the winds that bring high tides. Once or twice a year, the movie industry blesses us with a legendary turkey that we love to make fun of, that everyone loves to make fun of. And the first major disaster of the cinematic year has arrived with Morbius, a Marvel movie that is not the official Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, but it's one of the Sony offshoot movies. Uh, And Stephen Garrett sat through a screening of Morbius and is here to tell the sad tale. Hello, Stephen. Hello. So I will admit, as we talk, I have not read your copy yet, but I have enjoyed the uh, misery of about a dozen other film critics who've been writing about Morbius. (laughs) I I don't think it was a complete disaster. I think, if anything, it's just kind of a nothing burger. It kind of washed over me, and and, uh, thank God I took notes, because otherwise I really, not much of the story really stuck with me. It felt like like an act one of a story that was just played out over two hours. There's very little story to really get interested in or much character development to yeah. really be drawn into. Jared Leto becomes a vampire, I guess, and, and then he has superhuman strength at the end. Oh, and there's some conflict with a, a, a bitter friend of his from childhood who uh, is a billionaire and funds his research. And they both grew up uh, with a blood disease that made them very physically deficient and need crutches. And this, of course, gives them superhuman strength. And one of them is tortured by it, which is Jared Leto. The other one is uh, empowered by it to a uh, kind of detrimental uh, way and he starts uh, killing people with abandon and sucking their blood. The end. <laughs> right, but they're both basically vampires, they're right? They're both basically vampires, yeah. I, I don't feel like it's a vampiric tale. I mean, I guess, yes, the sense that 
they need blood to stay alive technically makes them vampires, but it's not like sunlight affects their bodies. They're very secular. There's nothing religious about it. They're not creepy or haunted. He doesn't want to be a vampire. And he also needs to have blood every six hours or every four hours and 22 minutes. So there, there are things about it that are not very classically, gothically romantic the way that a vampire usually is. Now, he's based on a, you know, a comic book character, Marvel comic book character, Michael Morbius, the living vampire. So they're not. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Why would he be living? Just because he's alive, but he needs blood? He can't be killed. I guess. But he can also fly and turn into smoke and stuff. So <laughs> this is, you know, Sony is trying to do this. They're doing basically like off-brand Spider-Man characters, you know, Morbius and Venom. Well, Venom was not an off-brand character. He was a, kind of a later introduced character. But this is in that same universe of like Spider-Man noir type characters. And, uh, you know, Morbius exists in that particular corner of the universe. He even makes a Venom joke at one point. He does. He makes a Venom joke at one point and a detect, one of the detectives, I think it's played by Al Magical, says, oh, this is like what happened in San Francisco. Of course, in the Venom stories took place in San Francisco and this is New York, although it's such a weird New York. They, like, you know, at least they dress up Vancouver to try to pretend like it looks New York. This is just exterior shots of the Chrysler building. And then you're very clearly in, I don't know, London or Toronto. I don't even know. Like it, it so doesn't look like New York once you're actually on the streets with the characters. But yes, it's an extended universe. You know, there's, of course, the obligatory, you know, a quick post-credit scene where we see a character from one of the Spider-Man movies and meets up with, uh, you know, Morbius and says, I think Spider-Man has something to do with this. Bump, bump, bump. And then it cuts out. And of course, this character is, is allowed into Morbius's world because I, one would presume because of the multiverse, because you see the heavens break open and then suddenly this guy appears and says, oh, I hope this world's better than the other one. OK, well, there you go. There's Morbius. Um, you know, and it's just like um, this is one of the last long delayed COVID movies to appear. I guess we're still waiting for the Top Gun Maverick movie. But most most of the sort of big budgety tentpole type movies that should have come out in 2020, but are still coming out. Most of them are out now. And this is one of the last. They really they really pushed this one back. I think they knew they had kind of a turkey here. Turkey, not turkey. I didn't feel like it was a disaster. It, it There's not much story to tell, but it gives you all the flash and sizzle if you're a Marvel fan. It gives you wonderful tableaus that look like they were, you know, inked on a comic book page. And uh, it's certainly very stylish. And Jared Leto is... Jared Leto. I mean, he's a hypnotic, charismatic actor, and he does the best he can with the material he's got. You know, they've got Jared Le Jared Harris in there as well. They got all the Jareds. Jared from Subway. They got Jared from Subway in the background. It's not a bad movie. It's just a very like it's an instantly forgettable movie. And I think part of it is that, to your point, it is one of these weird things that lawyers figure out that Sony owns Spider-Man and all the Spider-Man characters, whereas Disney owns all the rest of Marvel and all the other characters. So Sony is left with, if they're not making a Spider-Man movie, then they're making a villain movie or a villain origin story. And in order to care about the main character, they have to make it a conflicted villain who has an even more villainous character that he or she is facing off with. This was what happened in Venom, and this is what happened in, in Morbius. You know, there was somebody who's even worse than our hero or our anti-hero so that we could root for the anti-hero, which is its own weird, interesting thing. But anyway, you know, 
it is a weird subcategory of movie for sure. Yeah. Um, all right, so your your take on Morbius is actually a little more positive than some of the others I've seen. So <laughs> sliding scale, yeah, it's sliding scale, and this is not the kind of movie that you tend to tend to dig anyway. So uh, nor the type of vampire movie. Like I say, I don't really even consider him a vampire because he's this. Like it's more Jekyll and Hyde, you know what I mean? It's more this guy has bad blood more than he is like this guy's a vampire, you know, who's gonna seduce and and suck the blood of uh, a lot of nymphets, you know. All right, speaking of vampire movies, let's let's since we I've got you here, let's just talk about our favorite vampire movies. Uh, I certainly have my my list of ones that that I like. Um, Most of them tend to be comic in nature. Of course, there's Dracula, Dracula, dead and loving it. Right. Which was Mel Brooks' Brooks. parody of um, of the Gary Oldman Dracula. I believe that's the par- that's what it was parodying. And of course, um, Love at First Bite. Yes. <laughs> the the George Hamilton uh, Dracula <laughs> parody, which is the funniest Dracula movie ever made. You know, I mean, Interview with a Vampire is good and, and for its for its thing. The first season of True Blood, not technically a movie. And of course, The Lost Boys. Oh god. Perhaps my favorite. Van Trash. Movie. Oh come on. Trash. What are you trash? We're, 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 you were a teenager in the eighties. I was. I was. I'm not a big. Uh, who is it? Patrick. Jason Patrick. It has both the Corys in it. It does, and it has Jamie Gertz at her most Gertzian. I love Jamie Gertz, but uh, yeah, it's, it's very Joel Schumacher, isn't it? It's kind of preposterous. Yeah, I love that movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, the you know, you know, obviously the original Dracula. The nineteen, the, the Bella Lugosi classic. You can't, you can't discount. It's that. it's really great. It, it it's so modern. Even now, like thing is almost a hundred years old, and it is eerie and weird. The first was the best. Let's let's face it. That's definitely the best of the bunch. Would no. you call that the first, or would you call Nosferatu the? Oh, Nosferatu. Well, Nosferatu, of course, even better. Um, and then uh, you know, I did. I didn't like the Francis Ford Coppola, Coppola Dracula at all. That I like. That's my Lost Boys. That's so hot and heavy. I love that one. It's crazy, and the production design is insane. Obviously, it's a better movie than The Lost Boys. I mean, I'm not arguing that, <laughs> it, but it, but it doesn't mean I have um, it doesn't mean I have a lot of affection for it. I'm not one for the vampiric romances. I never saw the Twilight movies. Uh, I, do you have an opinion on those? They, they it's just not my. They are what they are, and I think this was a failing of the Coppola. Uh, Dracula, Dracul, um, has some great, you know, um, Gary Oldman in there, you gotta admit. But, uh, you know, Coppola called it Bram Stoker's Dracula. And Bram Stoker, actually, what I loved about his book is that it's epistolary, right? You don't actually hear Dracula's own voice. You just, it's these diary entries and letters and journal uh, writings that fill out the picture from multiple perspectives, never from Dracula's perspective. He is not, he is a seductor, but he is not a romantic. And he is a dest- he's a destructive force. And the way that uh, Coppola did it was that he made him this tragic, romantic figure who loved and lost. Let us not forget what we do in the shadows. Well, oh, that actually is great. Yeah, I'll take that any day. That is the, the movie and even the TV show is pretty good. Oh, that the movie TV is- show is, is endlessly hilarious and really expands on the mythology of the movie. Um, and the movie is also really fantastic. Um, so I do like a funny vampire. Also, Shadow of the Vampire. Shadow of the Vampire. That's pretty good. Also excellent. So there's good vampire movies. So the question is, who, who's going to win in a fight? Uh- Bela Lugosi Dracula, <laughs> Gary Oldman Dracula, Morbius. Or, or Jason Patrick from The Lost Boys. Who who wins the vampire? The vampire free-for-all. I think Morpheus and the Jason Patrick vampire are going to get in like a 
like a beauty contest face off, like two, two pretty boys. Right. And I think Gary Oldman is too much of a street brawler and he's got that crazy, you know, he's three or four different versions of Dracula in that movie. And he has one that's a horrific monster who could totally take down the tuxedoed Dracula that we originally know and love. But Bela Lugosi will beat him at a, at a, at a black tie function any day. It's a very dapper just in terms of pure handsomeness, yes. Uh, all right. And so I guess to close it out, in the immortal words of George Hamilton from uh, Love at First Bite, children of the night, shut up! <laughs> Zing! Oh, God bless that. Was that Richard Benjamin? Did he direct that, or was he just like... I, you know, I don't know. He, he, well, he, he plays, the, um, he plays the, the Van Helsing descendant, and there's, there, there's a scene where him and uh, George Hamilton and Susan St. James all go out to dinner... And Susan St. James is his fiance, but she's clearly into into George Hamilton. And he gives her a gift, a necklace that is that's all garlic. <laughs> that's so and and um, George Hamilton takes it and tosses it into the restaurant, and it lands into this this display where this guy is is making a Caesar salad tableside. So <laughs> such a good joke. And then uh, then he pulls out a pendant. And it's, it's a Jewish star. He's like, oh, shit, I wore the wrong one. <laughs> and, and it's Star David. And George Hamilton's like, maybe you should get rid of Lucy here and go find a nice Jewish girl. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, actually. That's greatest, pretty good. greatest moment in cinematic history. Are, we, haven't talked about, we haven't talked about Frank Langella's Dracula, the other disco Dracula. Well, now we have talked about it, so it's okay. Okay. <laughs> and then there's Blackula. Well, yeah, yeah, Blackula. I mean, just the title alone is fantastic. Yeah. There's some good Draculas. Morbius is not one of them, and he's also not Dracula. So um, Fair enough. on that note, Stephen, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Stephen. You bloodsucker, you. And thanks to Rachel Llewellyn for talking to me about Lady Scammer shows. I am Neil Pollock. I am the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover steaming hot content from the worlds of books and film and streaming TV, posting fresh pieces nearly every day, sometimes even on the weekends. Thank you so much for reading the site. Thank you for listening to the show Please remember to wear a silver cross around your neck, although that's not going to stop Michael Morbius, the living vampire. But, you know, you want to take care against all kinds of vampires because they're out there and they can give you trouble. Anyway, thanks a lot for listening. We will talk to you soon. a business opportunity for you okay what? All, all i need is three thousand dollars and and a list of other people you know who have three thousand dollars this is an opportunity for you you can be a partner in something great <laughs> i'll have to give it some thought uh well don't you know don't think too long rachel because the time is running out yeah that's on me <laughs> <laughs> all i need is your full social security number
original production. Most podcasts are awful. Most news is noise. What you need in your ears is real news. Narrated. You need Audio Hopper. Human narrations of the most compelling news, culture, and entertainment stories. You choose the topics and the publications. Audio Hopper gives you a commercial-free straight read of the story. Read by real voice actors, not annoying computer voice simulators. Get a variety of points of view and real news. Audio Hopper. Real news. Narrated. In the App Store.